Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. In this episode, the stars get lost in the country in Downton Abbey and Daddy gets lost in the stars in Ad Astra. Plus, we get into the James Gray areas of space travel with the film's director. I'm Jake Cunningham, and joining me to set sail on this new odyssey, choosing to go to the moon and beyond, we have the shooting star of feminist film programming, Steph Watts. Hello. Uh, We have our Mars, our Mercury, our Milky Way, our Mark Towers. Hi. And the conversational black hole himself, <laughs> Sam Howland. Hello. Thanks. How are we doing? Very good. Yeah. I mean, in the words of Incubus, it's been a while. Um, it's been two weeks, but it's nice to be back and to be to be talking about these two films with you. I hope it was Incubus that sung that. Was it? Uh, no one knows the answer to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert no. on that. Um, Sounds it was stained. Right. It was not. Oh, oh sorry, all you oh, that's so st- embarrassing. You, you stained fans <laughs> out there. I'm just an incubus boy at heart. Um, right. Uh, so we've got a couple of films to talk about before we get to the outer limits of the solar system and perhaps mainstream blockbuster filmmaking itself. We must start uh, pretty much in the complete opposite direction on all counts. A film adaptation of a popular TV show about living in a country manor. Uh, Steph, you were cordially invited to the Abbey. I was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll just uh, give a quick synopsis on this one before we, we dive into all the, all the drama, <laughs> the galactic levels of it. Uh, can you imagine? It's 1927. The Jazz Age is in full swing. No. I know. <laughs> um, and they're anticipating a visit from none other than the King and Queen. Uh, the relatives, the servants, the inhabitants, they all swing into action, but can the silver be polished in time? <laughs> There's only one way to find out, and that's to watch Downton Abbey the movie. And Steph, you've done that. I mean, high drama, you wouldn't see the king in space, would you? So... That's true. Yeah, the <laughs> king has famously this. never gone to space. <laughs> um, yeah, it. I mean, I have watched the series. Um, I can't remember if I watched all of series six, because I think it kind of tailed off a little bit for me but um it was I was like weirdly excited to go and see the movie like just being back with all those characters I can't remember when it last actually aired on tv it feels like it's been quite a long time um and you get the kind of not the tv opening obviously to the film but you still get the big Downton Abbey title and it's like I'm just gonna watch two hours of this tv show now on a big screen which 
won me over a little bit, I must say. Does, does it literally just feel like an episode of the show? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, <laughs> like the, yeah, you still have like the similar kind of score, which is used in the TV show, which is probably pretty recognisable to a lot of people. Um, and yeah, it just kind of does its thing, really. It Yeah, once you kind of get over the the thought that you're in the movie version, it is basically a long TV episode. But that that's what it needs to be, isn't it? Yeah. Like that's that's the purpose of Downton Abbey the movie. Yeah. Would, like it's not like people like they they've got some like auteur director <laughs> to come in and really whip it into shape with some like fresh new takes on polishing silver. Um but there is a, there's some ambitious stuff and there's there's some surprising stuff from a narrative standpoint that people may not expect of what is an adaptation of a like Sunday afternoon drama. Yeah, I think you definitely have all the stuff of kind of oh, I can't find my dress in time for the party and stuff like that. Which yeah, we've all been very, there. We've all we've all had those. We can relate. And uh, but yeah, you have the kind of I think where the real interest lies is kind of in the basement where all the servants are with all the staff, um, and there you're kind of more normal people that you can relate to. So you have um, one of the characters uh, is a Republican, doesn't believe in the king and queen. Um, so she's having a bit of a rough time because obviously the king and queen are visiting. Um, there's a, a gay subplot, which is like quite interesting, I think. And yeah, I don't, I didn't expect that to come through in the movie. I expected it to be all very kind of nice and pleasant and not really trying to tackle anything. Um, yeah. And there's a couple of characters, like there's one of the characters that, um, basically used to be a servant but then married into the family and he had like a really interesting uh narrative throughout the tv show of this kind of where do I actually fit I'm not like working class anymore but I'm not part of this huge kind of upper class family where do I actually find my place and he has a little bit more of uh, story development in the film as well which I think actually slots in quite nicely but, so it sounds like it's maybe like swinging for the fences a bit more so than perhaps mm. the TV show would from like the the story ambitions in yeah. this like using that extended runtime to actually take the characters a bit deeper and a bit further than they have been before yeah I think I guess it feels deeper because they they put a lot of that into kind of a hundred minute runtime um whereas some of those storylines have been playing out in the show but obviously it's over six series so it does feel like a lot longer and then you just have these yeah these characters stories like running quite deep in such a short runtime which yeah makes it feel a lot deeper and a lot more progressive i guess than some of the rest of the tv show yeah do you think it's going to win anyone over the had previously not seen the show or do you think this this is like over yeah. the over the line into just for the fans do it for yeah. the fans not the critics I, it does feel like a do it for the fans one like i i would like to see somebody who hasn't watched any of the show just watch it and see mm. how it goes um because i think it is it is quite funny and there's lots of humor that you could get without having seen the rest of the show but there i think there are some bits that you definitely appreciate more and I think my appreciation of it came definitely from the fact that I've seen all of the show. Mm. Um, but do I they, think, yeah, I don't know. Do they do any kind of character setup for people who are coming in fresh? Yeah, I guess there's a little bit of like, oh, and you remember we had that baby two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was looking for. Yeah, there's a little bit of that stuff. Um, 
Yes, I think you'd have to. I mean, I was struggling a little bit with like, Matthew Good's in this movie, but who was he in the show? I can't remember. And then when he like hops out of a car at some point, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember who he is now. But I think if you hadn't seen the show, you'd be like, who, why is he here? What's happening? Mm. Type thing. So. Well, I look forward to the next entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that sees Happy Hogan watching the Downton Abbey movie. Because mm. we all remember <laughs> from Iron Man 3 how much he loves his Downton. I do remember that. Yeah. Um, all right. So we must move on. Uh, it's time to go galaxy brain as we take a trip to the stars with Ad Astra. Sam, what is this film about? What isn't it about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ad Astra. This is James Gray's follow-up to The Lost City of Zed. Uh, it stars Brad Pitt as astronaut Roy McBride, who goes on a top-secret mission through space to find his father, also an astronaut who went missing on a mission many years ago. And his journey will uncover secrets that challenge the nature of human existence and our place in the cosmos. That sounds like good stuff to me. Yeah. It's such a good premise. Yeah. Like I remember hearing this like two years ago. I'm thinking, why has no one done this film before? Because it sounds so good. It's so simple and straightforward. Well, it's just Apocalypse Now. Yeah. (laughs) Why has no one done that before? Um, and what what a director to do it as well. I think uh, given that that pitch that we just heard, that let's say that's the one liner of this film coming off the back of a film like Lost City of Zed, which certainly has similar vibes to Apocalypse Now and uh, the the sins of the fathers informing their sons. Uh, I, that just got me very excited about this, based on what James Gray has done before. Yeah, I mean, I. I was exactly the same. As soon as I heard that, I was in. Mm. I think I've, I've, I hyped this movie so much in my own head because I was just expecting something. Um, maybe I was expecting something that we haven't seen before to a degree that would is just unfair. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, I mean, I'm a big fan of Apocalypse Now. I'm a big fan of like my favorite film ever, 2001. I love Interstellar, Gravity, despite all their flaws. The the expectations were supercharged, super supercharged. Probably the most I've had it in a long time. I, I think. Well, we we did our bit uh, a couple of months ago about most anticipated mm. films for the rest of the year, and this this was my top for that. Um, and James Gray is such an interesting director. He's he's one of these guys uh, that somehow has had a 30-year career, not made that many films, and none of them make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just hit a point where he managed to convince people to give him $85 million to make his arty blockbuster with Brad Pitt. Uh, and I'm very glad that he did it. And Sam, you've got to talk to him all about that. I did, yeah. So we spoke about casting Brad Pitt. We spoke about the fact that $85 million is now considered mid-budget for this kind of film. Um, we spoke about like getting the balance between like scientific plausibility in space, but also capturing the unknown quantity of space and the stuff that you still want to be unknown and kind of magical in space. And as you'll hear, he's a very, very intelligent guy. And he's dosed up on paracetamol. He's dosed up on paracetamol because <laughs> he's very jet lagged. <laughs> All right. So do enjoy Sam with James Gray.
we're delighted to welcome James Gray to the Curls and Film podcast. Thank you Hello. very much for being here. No, thank you for having me. Uh, so we're here to talk about Ad Astra, which just had a very well-received premiere at Venice. Uh, thank God. <laughs> rather nerve-wracking. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, I wanted to start by asking about this comparison that a lot of people have been giving the film, and that's with like, Heart of Darkness and Apocalypse Now. Um, so is that something that you were very conscious of when you first thought of the story for this film, or is that something that people have just started applying post-fact? Um, the initial spark for the story, it's funny how all things tend to sort of lead to each other. I, I, the orig original spark was to try and do this very pretentious, but I was trying to do the Odyssey from Telemachus's point of view, mm -hmm. I mean, it ends very differently, obviously, but we were trying to do a kind of mythic story, very simple, almost relying on Joseph Campbell, you know, the hero with a thousand faces. And then you realize it became very Apocalypse Now-like because, one, the son pursuing the father is a very Conradian, you know, mm -hmm. Marlowe pursuing Kurtz, or Willard in the movie yeah. pursuing Kurtz, and how much Francis Coppola and George Lucas were involved and interested in Joseph Campbell and the idea of myth in the late 1960s. In fact, George Lucas, who's often spoken of his debt to Joseph Campbell and to myth, um, himself was supposed to direct Apocalypse Now originally, and they were going to make it in 16mm in Vietnam. And, and John Milius, who wrote the script, he was very careful to be very kind of specific and yeah. mythic about the creation of it. So I did steal from Apocalypse Now, but only by way of trying to be mythic. Right, right. And I think what's uh, really interesting is that there's been a few space films that I can think of that deal with a kind of parent-child relationship at the forefront. So like Interstellar, I'm thinking of, or Contact, or even kind of gravity in a certain way. Um, why do you think people choose to tell these stories against that background, and why did you? Well, it's a very good question, but uh, my own answer would be, well, first I would say I'm not exactly sure what motivated mm -hmm. uh, those other movies. Um, I'm, I'm quite close to Chris Nolan. Uh, yeah. I love him dearly, but he's not only tight-lipped with the rest <laughs> of the world about his films, he's tight-lipped even with his friends. The the short answer that I would give you is that when you're trying to tell a very intimate story, a personal story, mm. you're it's almost like you're intentionally looking for the contrast in order mm -hmm. to make it clear. And you cannot get a greater contrast to intimacy than to the deepest part of the solar system. Mm. It's almost like you have to travel that far to become that interior, that intimate. It's a wonderful contrast. Now, there are great films, of course, made in intimate fashion. Mm -hmm. um, John Cassavetes' A Woman Under the Influence, yeah. for example, comes to mind. It's a masterpiece. And the landscape of the soul is covered brilliantly in the film. But uh, obviously, there we were trying to look outward to look inward. Mm. And I think that's probably the reason mm. When you face the void, you have nothing to look at except for inside. Yeah. And there's there's definitely a comparison, I think, to Lost City of Z, where you have That's films true. leading with characters who are explorers and have like dedicated their life to like the pursuit of exploration and discovery and like how that takes a toll on their lives. Was that something that you kind of got more interested in with Lost City of Z and carried over to this film? 
Uh, originally, it wasn't conscious. Uh, right. I, I had written the script in 2011 for this mm-hmm. film. Uh, but y- you can't run away from your unconscious mind, you know. And I had made that film. You make the film when you get the money to make it. And I had made that film already. And in some ways, this became the flip side of that. Mm. That was a focus on Percy Fawcett, or at least a version of Percy Fawcett. It was not really the facts of Percy Fawcett. It's not a, it's not a documentary. And ultimately, how he reunited with his son through this kind of uh, uh, attempt to find the sublime. And here, it's the son's search for the father. It's really focusing on the son. And for me, that was a very powerful story, too, because ultimately, there are reasons we explore, and some of them are quite beautiful, but a lot of times we have to come to grips with the fact that exploration is either done for mercenary reasons or to escape the problems of our own world or to not focus on the problems of our own world. It would be hard to make a case, for example, that the conquistadors went to uh, the Americas for benevolent reasons. They enslaved the population and looked for gold. And I, I just feel that um, this is a very kind of beautiful but also ugly motive. And when it's father and son, when that's involved, it's a whole other level to the drama because we're always questioning our parents' motives. So in terms of the look and design of the film then, it seems like there's sort of a tension when you're making a film set in space and about space travel where you kind of want to ground it in as much reality as possible that these are things that are believable that could happen, but you also want to keep that sort of otherworldly, you know, the, the beauty of space. Can you talk about walking the line between those two aspects? It's a wonderful question and it's not easy because you always say to yourself, Am I going to get this wrong? And you will. There's going to be one person at the very least, and you have to know this going in, who's going to watch your movie and go, that could never happen, (laughs) even if it happened. You know, if I made a film, I'll give you a perfect example about how difficult this kind of balance is. If you made a film about Theodore Roosevelt, Mm And I told you a story in which an assassin, a would-be assassin, went up to Theodore Roosevelt and shot him, and the bullet lodged in the papers of his speech, which he had folded in his pocket minutes before. You would watch the film, if you didn't know it was Theodore Roosevelt, and think it was totally implausible, and how could the filmmaker be so stupid as to try and make the case that that could happen? Well, in fact, it actually did happen. So real life is actually not even plausible in a movie sometimes. The movie has to establish its own reality. That is a a daunting proposition. So what we tried to do is not say, what is is realistic? Mm. We tried to say, what is plausible? Is the science plausible? Now, of course, there's no way for us to get to Neptune in 80 days. It's 2.7 billion miles away. But is there a form of propulsion that's on the table in the next 50 to 100 years that could maybe do it? Yeah. Mm. There's certain kinds of nuclear fusion propulsion that's under research. There's, well, ion propulsion already exists, but some form of plasma propulsion perhaps. Uh, 
So you have to say, is this plausible? And then you have to ask the audience to be willing to go with you on that and just say, it's the near future, you have to accept it. Mm. And I'm sure some people will not. And um, something that I find quite interesting about this film is the fact that it is not based on anything. You know, it is your original screenplay. How, and it looks like it has a large budget. How, what's the process like of convincing a studio in this day and age to let you make this kind of film without relying on like a property? It's extremely difficult, and I would not have been able to do it were it not for, for Brad Pitt, but also the courage, really, of Arnon and Yariv Milchan, who were the people who run New Regency. That's the sort of boutique studio that made the film. It was not made by, okay. you know, Fox or yeah. Disney or something. It was the smaller company that did it and the courage they had to do it. And the way, uh, first of all, I'm glad you think it looks so large. In current budgetary terms, it's sort of middle budget. I mean, movies cost $300, $400 million now. Um, So it's a risk, I guess, but it's not like, you know, going to bring down the studio. You know, it's not not like one of those where it's like $400 million. You know, you think about this. I was discussing this the other day with a friend of mine. Cleopatra with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, was $50 million in 1962 and 63. That's like spending $700 million today on your movie. So the the economics have always been kind of wonky about the movie business. You just have to go in as passionate as you can be, express yourself about what you think the beauty of these sequences will be, express how your belief in its magical pull mm. and if you believe it maybe they will too and they'll, help, they'll give you the chance mm. and also having Brad so passionate and committed was a great help yeah. in getting it made when did Brad get involved? Uh, you forget these things well, it was the actual day it was uh, I want to say November of 2016 maybe a little earlier October of 2016 that sounds about right it was a long time ago uh, it was right around uh, the election of uh, our current president, Mr. Trump. So I would say that was November of 2016, and I, I think he read it and said, let's do this. And then um, I had decided to uh, to try and go ahead with the movie right around that point because I, was, uh, I had finished Lost City of Zed, mm-hmm. and I had been in the jungle for a while, and I was pretty exhausted. Mm. And Brad had seen that film and really loved it. He was one of the producers. And then when it was finished, he said, oh, I love this. What do you want to do next? And I said, well, I think I might do this. And that's how it started. Amazing. James Gray, thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, um, so let's dive straight in. Uh, I actually want to start this whole thing with the title card of the film. I'm, and I'm sorry that I want to start there, but uh, it's it's really interesting, and I think it's a guide for the film as well because it's not like any space title card that we've seen before. It's big, it's red, it's uh, serifi, it's classical. Uh, to me, it's it's earthy. You know, it feels like a font that would be more akin to Victor Hugo or Barry Lyndon than it would be for space. This isn't like your clean white circles of 2001 and Alien. Uh, And I think that's because this film, as much as it is about space, uh, it's about Earth as well and our position within the universe and our position as people uh, and our in relation to the, the kind of, I don't know, the solar system of people around us. Yeah, 100% agree. I think people are going to compare this to Interstellar a lot, and rightly so. There's definitely some similarities between this and Interstellar. But I think Interstellar is very much about why we need space exploration and why it's a good thing and how space exploration can save the world. This is about, this is far more sort of contemplative and sad and about how look at all we've achieved in space and all mankind has achieved over these, whenever this film is set, over 100 years of like space travel, finding the big answers. And I won't say what those big answers are, but when we do find a big answer, we're sort of forced to turn around and look back at what we've left behind and what it's cost us this finding the, to get to this big moment and how there's a kind of indescribable feeling of loneliness when you come to that big answer and realise what it's cost you. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a big boy film. <laughs> um, and uh, Stefan, a nice follow up to Lost City of Z. Like we kind of take we mentioned that like thematically, there's certainly stuff there. But um, I think James Gray, given that extra money, manages to kind of take on technique and ideas that he really hasn't had the chance to do so before. And it is just mm. exciting to watch that on the big screen. Yeah, definitely. And I think. Um, just thinking about this, like, really appreciate the kind of chronological, like, linear narrative style of both of those films. Um, and I think when you're tackling, like, big themes and big questions and stuff, sometimes it probably helps just to have a, a simply laid out film. I think, like, what I liked so much about Lost City of Zed was that kind of, you've just got this all in order film and it's, like, a little bit repetitive, but by the end of it, you feel like you've come out with something. Well, you've lived with it. Yeah, and you're not. And I think sometimes with space as well, it can be quite tempting for films to just mess around with time, mess around with the order that they're putting things in. But I think, yeah, I really appreciated this just being kind of all laid out quite simply. Um, and then you can draw from that. Yeah, I, and I think, he, and he refers to himself as a, as a classical filmmaker. Like, he is like locking a lot of shots off and letting them play out. And he came up in that new Hollywood school and everyone's Tarantino, everyone wants to pick up the camera like Scorsese and Goodfellas and rush around and follow everyone and throw people into a film like that and throw people into his atmosphere by literally pushing audiences into it like that. Mm. And he's he's not interested in that. He's He wants to build that world around you 
gradually as well. Um, like this opens with a pretty incredible set piece, but it is also quite quiet. Like we've got this giant antenna poking out the sky and Brad Pitt holding onto the side of it and falling and crashing down to earth. But the it's it reminded me of the, the opening of First Man as well, yeah. where you've got that, that mm. high intensity uh, event uh, with this guy in the helmet and uh, true American hero. But what you get here, and I suppose in, in First Man as well, is like this is this is quieter. This is more reflective. This is a more somber characterization of that true american hero um but it is this is this does not have like kip thorne on scientific accuracy duty like taking a like fine comb through the script to get exactly all the right uh details from nasa this is uh having a bit more fun with the idea of the sci-fi film yeah i think it's uh, like certainly by the end without spoiling anything there's bits and it's it's definitely meant to be this kind of dream like uh you're more in a i suppose a a 2001 area kind of thing where uh, everything's got a more material and tactile feel to it than 2001 but it's meant to have that metaphorical kind of journey of of the id of the ego and everything uh, towards the end because there's a scene where he's very much saying like it's always put there to annoy the Kip Thorns the the Neil deGrasse Tysons who'll uh get on Twitter and point out you know the 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 inaccuracies and maybe that was were fair criticism stuff like in Stellar and Gravity that were trying to say we're doing everything right. So then there's some other there's some little bits they got to pick up. And this definitely at the end there's a thing where he takes like a panel off of a without giving too much away, a panel <laughs> that is almost getting into comic book territory. It's like this is we are going for something completely different. It totally works though, doesn't it? <laughs> it worked for me, yeah. yeah. I I'm someone that's never really questioned the realism of like a space film though no mm. it's never ever bothered me once mm. no no not at all um and it's interesting that we've mentioned stella so much because it's uh hoyt van hoytema who is the mm. cinematographer on that film uh has returned to the vacuum of space once again uh for this one and what is really interesting is that you do not notice that it's the same guy like it's he's i, I would be fascinated to hear the conversations that him and james gray had about the what is the visual identity of yeah. this film going to be and how do we make sure that we're not just mimicking what you've done before because mm. um, Interstellar is huge it's grand um, and this is this is more experimental for sure I know that like they, they did a lot of odd things like shooting at six frames per second and getting Brad Pitt to move really slowly oh, wow. uh, and then <laughs> sped it up so that it would get the effect of like uh, a spacewalk right uh, and so like even on this budget and this intensity they're still being like should we just should we just like play around for a bit yeah 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 um, which is great to see does anyone know, was it shot digitally no it was on film it was on film because yeah. when I saw it I was thinking how clean it looked mm. And I was thinking, so, no, I mean, that was obviously me making it up. <laughs> I was just like, this is what I imagine space to look like. But I was thinking it had this super clean, crisp feel to it. Yeah. Mm. There's so many textures as well. Like, There's the bit where they're driving along and he puts his hand up and there's oh, all kind yeah, of dust on yeah. his hand. And, I f yeah, I feel like it. sometimes I feel like with space films, you just get 
blackness and yeah. you don't really feel like you feel anything but this like there's so many things that you feel like you could touch out like yeah. reach out and touch mm, absolutely um and if you want to reach out and touch it it's in cinemas now actually it's not because we're doing this episode a week early yeah. so that yeah. we could fit in uh, uh two more films next week uh it's, it's actually out on Wednesday, isn't it? Uh, it's out on Wednesday. Yes. Uh, so do go and watch that when you can. <laughs> um, like, if you are a fan of uh, former classic space dad films, uh, like uh, Close Encounters and Contact and Interstellar and anything like that, do get check this one out. But also, uh, if you're like fans of Apocalypse Now, for sure, uh, do go check this one. Also, James Gray is such an interesting director and like. <laughs> I just want. I just wish him success. So just, just go and watch it for him. You know. Uh, so if you, if you need to fill your time between now and the film coming out on Wednesday, yeah, you could always watch something on Curzon Home Cinema, couldn't you? You can. You can watch uh, Long Shot, the romantic comedy starring Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron, which is a lot of fun. Didn't realise that was written by Liz Hanna, who wrote The Post. Uh, yeah. Like, really weird. Yeah. But great. <laughs> and then from Monday, you can finally catch up with John Wick colon chapter three hyphen parabellum. And uh, it's an annoying title. Uh, it is. Um, but that, that's but a, that's lot a of great fun. film. And uh, we spoke about that on the podcast when I it think, came out. Yeah, we did. Uh, Mark, you were on for that. I one. was. Yeah, well, we had a good time. Talking about action. Yes. Um, a lot of action. A lot of killing in that one. Awesome. You want to see a man kill another man with a book? That's the film. He does kill someone with a book. Uh, along with Downton Abbey, of course. Um, and if you've got any thoughts on Downton Abbey or Ad Astra, do let us know. You can tweet us at Curzon Cinemas. Um, and you can also just keep in touch with us as well. I'm on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham. Uh, Sam, you're there. At Sam Howlett underscore one. Mark? Uh, my Twitter is like as desolate as space. You, you <laughs> I hardly ever up. tweet. So if you want to follow someone that's just a silence in the abyss... Uh, it's Mark at Mark D Towers. M- Mark's Twitter went to space to find my Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nothing. Steph, you are tweeting. You're, you're tweeting. not just like sending out signals that aren't bouncing it's back. It's all Downton Abbey content from yeah. now on. That's <laughs> underscore Steph Watts. Lovely stuff. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. If it's your first time listening to the show, subscribe on iTunes, Acast, wherever you get your pods and leave us a review while you're there. That'd be lovely. Uh, Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.